random number generator, 1 to 417 comes out with director 344. Good, I don't have to scroll too much for this one. <laughs> 344 is somebody I'm going to have to look up. Oh, <laughs> I don't know who it is. It's Satoshi Miki. So let's book it up. No idea. Wow. Brave new world that we're going into. Satoshi Miki. Writer, director. Um, okay. Instant Swamp, I think, is the most popular one. Um, Japanese filmmaker who does sort of quirky indie comedies. Okay. All right. Just Instant Swamp. This is sort of maybe puts a flavour of the director in your mind, but a quirky young woman who loves antiques and backs on a risky on risky adventures and business endeavours with her eccentric friends trying to score a unique item that will finally be worth a huge profit after her sacrificed savings or to open up a new shop. Whoever wrote that IMD, IMDB listing just needs to, you know, maybe dawn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have to say I'm impressed by some of his film titles, including Louder Can't Hear What You're Singing Wimp from 2018. <laughs> uh, and his latest fantastic. film, his latest film, What to Do with the Dead Kaiju. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. That a fantastic it's a title. genre no one's ever really uh, looked at before. My name is Rob and welcome to Directors Uncut. If this is your first episode, we put filmmakers from all corners of the globe onto a huge list that covers everything from ealing comedy to unappealing trash cinema. Then we turn it into a lottery of directors and by using a random number generator, we pick a name out of the hat. Whatever name comes out, myself and some guest hosts discuss them and their work through two films. And this week, I've been joined by Ben. Hello there. Hello, how you doing? Um, not bad, not bad. Um, full clarity, this is the first, second spin at this episode, so the first one was the, the rubbish one, this is going to be the amazing one. Everybody's going to be really, really glad. I'm proud of what we did last time, hey. Oh yeah, it was a great episode. I, I was going to say, I'm getting a serious case of deja vu here, but I'm very proud of what we did last time. Oh yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, spe- I, mean, I don't know whether I'm still your first podcast, but I was then. <laughs> You are. No, no, you, I mean, well, yes, obviously, the second crack out of the first podcast, but yeah, no, it's, nobody's ever wanted to talk to me. Nobody's ever gone, oh, Ben, you seem like a cool guy, which I'm not. It's all right. I'm not. Um, <laughs> don't, be, don't be too modest. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, it's true. You know, I'm a middle-aged white guy talking about Asian movies. I mean, you know, cultural appropriation and all that malarkey. Yeah. That's the thing, though. I mean, I know it's not the topic that I've that set up in any way, but it's like... Um, and then we're doing the American remake of Ghost in the Shell. Uh, all the Americans and Europeans and uh, English people like, you can't cast... Uh, what's her name? Kusanagi. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't cast her as a white American. That's ridiculous. She's Japanese. Japanese, damn it. And all the Japanese and Scully Johansson. Oh, wow, that's cool. Looking forward to that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got... Uh, by marriage, I have Chinese family. Hmm. Uh, so I've been to China 
couple of times in there and it's really funny when they go over there and you find out that I watch a lot of Shaw Brothers movies that I watch a lot of because they just call them old movies nobody watches those old movies anymore it's like no these are Shaw Brothers films but they all think I'm weird because they want to see because I remember last time we were over Interstellar was out yeah. and they were all like oh let's go and see Interstellar Chris Nolan's brilliant this that and the other and like no, can we can we go and see Legends of the Fist that's on over there, please? And it was like, <laughs> why do you want to go and see that? You're going to be the only one there. They don't have English subtitles. A go kung fu movie doesn't need subtitles. It's like suggesting it has a story. I mean, come on. It does have a story. You take that back. Well, well, I don't know about that one. I've not seen that one. I've not seen that one. But <laughs> no, some of them... You're going to have a fight. <laughs> Literally. That, I, I, people have got... In kung fu movies, people have gone into fights over worse things. Oh, they have. In, well, it might be one of those terrible political ones where you need a, like a degree in Chinese history to understand what the hell's going on. But at the end of the day, they just fight. They just fight. That's the cool part. Fight. That's fight. Yeah. I'm fed up with talking. Let's fight. Yeah, it's like I uh, interviewed a Japanese um, voice artist and her agent and said, oh, ask me what sort of movies. Like, I said, I like Japanese movies. Um, I used to watch um, the old Nikatsu sort of crime movies from the 1960s and the look in his face was, what? You do what? Nobody <laughs> watches them. Not even Joe Shishido. Well, I was going to say he's passed on now, but not even Joe Shishido watches those. And he was in them. But, uh, yes, but it's the Japanese director we've got today. Um, it's Satoshi Miki. It's a hard director because usually at this point in the time I'd say, so where'd you first hear of this director? And I think uh, sec- Third Window have a lot of responsibility for a lot of the Asian names on, on our list. And I'm assuming it's true for you too. Absolutely. Now, Adam Terrell has got so much to answer for in my life, especially with new Blu-rays coming into the house and my wife going, more movies? You're getting more movies? I never have too many movies, I said. There are are some that have been sitting on my shelf for about 10 years and still an but not third window (laughs) ones. In case you're Uh, listening, Some of the older stuff that I wish that... I know licensing is such a minefield for these movies especially Asian movies. I think that's why um, Why Don't You Play in Hell hasn't been released in this country yet because I think some French company owns it. Yes. Yeah, and they're demanding. And it depends on who... And, and some of the companies as well are quite difficult to work with. Hence why we haven't got a European copy of Linda, 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 which is an amazing mm. film. It, it's a punk rock film, four girls in the thing, uh, Duna Bay is in it as well. And it is just fantastic, but no, I mean, it would fit in on a label like Third Window Films, but apparently the company that I write, who I'm not going to name here, uh, are just terrible. They're really horrible to work with, and they demand all sorts of crazy things. So I remember, because I looked into, uh, this is back in the mid-noughties, I, yeah. in my hubris, I looked into sort of like licensing Korean movies and things like that. Yeah. I'd come into a bit of money. I'd, all right, for the purposes of clarity, I'd won a car. I don't drive. So all of a sudden I had 18 grand in my, in my account. And I was like, hey, this is all right. And I looked into trying to get into that side of the business. Yeah. Uh, because I'm too tall to be an actor. I'm six foot four. And people just want to hire you as either thug number four or the murderer. You know, it's, it's <laughs> like, nobody wants a six foot four bald beaded romantic lead. Um, Did you want to be a romantic lead? I would have taken any job. I mean, I was on public home enough times, so why not? Okay, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, so, uh, this is going to be a bit of a third window love in, I think, this episode. Um, but, but by by sheer definition of it being quite a 
obscure director. I mean, looking at his Wikipedia, it turns out that he started off doing um, sort of uh, variety shows, which I don't think there's really an alternative to or like a comparison point over in the West, especially their sense of humour. The, the Japanese sense of humour with its weird referencing to puns and how you say things in different dialects. There's just nothing like that anywhere else in the world, really. There isn't, but yet you say that, and yet you watch something like Team Gaki, and, mm. and it is... I, I mean, I don't even think they're running it anymore, but Team Gaki, was, it was like it's a knockout, but much more scaled back and to the point where it was just comedians torturing each other. <laughs> and, and it was funny. And, and that kind of humour is international. But yeah, no, you're right, there is... I think there's a joke in uh, I forgot this guy's name last time. Um, Shinkai's your name, where it's a play on words, where the where he yeah. says he, uh, like, she. There's feminine he, versions I, of words and, fe- and male versions of words. It's just not- at least it's not Welsh, where we have seven ways of saying yes and no. So that's very complicated <laughs> it all depends on the question but yeah there's no need for it there's just no no wonder nobody speaks that language um, so there's only really three movies of his that are available there are some yeah. fantastically titled names um, which I would like to say very much like louder can't hear what you're singing wimp that sounds mm-hmm. fun um, what you do with a dead kaiju the, un- the uh, yeah. insects unlisted in the cyclopedia that, that kaiju one has piqued my interest. Uh, doesn't not great reviews though out there. When you kind of look into it, there's not many people seem to like that one very much. But yeah, it's it's, it's availability, isn't it? It's all down to availability. Yeah. But the only three that are available in this country are the three that Third Window put out: Adrift in Tokyo, Turtles are surprisingly fast swimmers, and Instant Swamp. Yes, Instant Swamp's the one we never did because yeah, it's. They're all hard to find in these two yeah. you picked. You, you, I think, I, yeah, it's, I'm sorry to interrupt that one. Um, but yeah, no, I think with regards to, I think Turtles is now out of print as well. So it is, you, yeah. can, you can pick up copies, you know, if you, if you go trolling around eBay and that, you can still pick up copies relatively cheap. But yeah, it, it's just, if it wasn't for companies like Third Window, and this is going to turn into a lot of it, but if it wasn't for companies like that, we just wouldn't be able to get our hands on these ones at all. No. I think the box set's uh, about eight, with all three of them, is about 80 quid now that it goes for, Ooh, if, you can, if you can find it. See, I bought them individually, and I was tempted to buy that box set as well, just for the ADHD completist in me. It was like, mm. that, and I didn't, and I'm kind of regretting it now, because I've got to go, hey, anybody want a copy? <laughs> just kind of, <laughs> just handing them out to people who wanted them. So, um, which one do you want to have a pop at first, Turtles or Adrift in Tokyo? Let's do Turtles, let's do it chronologically because I think there's a nice progression between the two. So we'll do Turtles first again if that's alright. ヘボンだな、全くスパイムキー。俺もさっきからそう思ってた。私もこの商売長くやっておりますけれども、あなたのような平凡馬鹿は珍しい。It's a, a simple plot which blows out of all sort of control, really. Um, Suzume Katagura is a bored housewife at the age of, I think, 23, I think it's established, something like that. Wild difference in cultures there. Um, and she spends her days doing chores and taking care of her husband's pet turtle who, t- who phones every day and says, how was your turtle? How was the turtle? Is it doing okay? Yeah. 
it's a, I think it suggested that he works internationally. I can't remember the yeah, specifics on that. Yeah, he's an international businessman. Like he's, he's always mm. going on business. He doesn't know what the business is, but the business, he's just on business yeah. meetings all the time. Uh, life is... Well, she's always playing second fiddle to her best friend, who I don't know how she's the best friend because she kind of undermines her at every single opportunity she, she gets, really. And she, she, she's the horrible person to have as your best friend. She, but she's the cool one, and yeah, you know, um, Suzumi is very much the wallflower kind of thing, the background. So she's one that makes them cool, one look cool, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but she's going through her routines. Um, she had daydreams at one point, um, that instead of feeding the turtle, she's just going to be a bit chaotic with the turtle and just make a mess and then throw him out the window. That doesn't happen, but what she does is do is she throws too much of the pet food all over the place and ends up causing a leak. Well, not a leak, a, a, a blockage. blockage, a drain blockage. She invites the um, plumber over, who is a I'm curious character. I'm, I'm playing my hand at this point because I'm just laughing. <laughs> 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 Folks, this is what this film is. It is just absurd. I'm sorry. It is. It is. <laughs> Uh, he, he, he makes the claim that this is a particularly uh, it blocks water very very good this type of, sort of turtle food so it's a good job they called him and while he's he's making small talk he says oh by the way I had this thing recently where there was a squid down a toilet and you, 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 you've got to believe it stuffed with rice you've got to believe me how could you not believe me do you want to come around my house up and show you and she does <laughs> which is it's, it's bald um, so she does that it goes badly um, <laughs> can you just imagine that conversation though especially happening in the modern world it's like oh hello would you want to come and see me soft me stuffed squid <laughs> yeah there's no way that happened in the day as well <laughs> uh oh although oh, you're, you're welcome anytime to come and see my stuffed squid no wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it is out of control already. Let's go. <laughs> um, from that, uh, she decides there's this flight of stairs, which basically it's a huge stairs. It looks like the Exorcist stairs. Yeah, very. Much and so. there's a thing where if you run up the those stairs in thirty seconds, which seems a bit unlikely, um, something good will happen to you. Yeah, it's, it's something it like 100 steps in 30 seconds, isn't it? And this staircase is apparently 100 steps. It's like those little things, like if I, if I get all the way to the shop without stepping on any cracks, I've done good. This is, it kind of taps into that superstition. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, at the top there is an orange cart, probably next door to the place in American movies where they have all of the the carts with fruits and all of the people who carry sort of big sheets of glass across the road. <laughs> Every cliche met. Yes. Uh, that falls over and all the oranges come flying down the... Is it oranges or apples? No, That's apples. apples. It is apples. Yeah. Uh, apples come flying down the stairs and she flies to the floor. She just jumps head first. Mm-hmm. Apples come all around her and what should she notice? Just on the pole next to her. I mean, I've got to respect her eye, eyesight, honestly. She sees this, sees this little postage stamp style poster asking for spies. Mm-hmm. Things happen, things happen, things happen. 
life ain't going great, so he decides, you know what, I'm going to call those spies and I'm going to become a spy. And hijinks and so, basically. I think that's about as... <laughs> it's he, not he, just that. It's he, could, he could run through the script, but it, it, I don't mean this in a negative sense, but you could just describe it and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens. It is. But, it's like a bunch of set pieces put to this one character. It's kind of like their journey over the space of a couple of months. Um, yeah. And how it kind of escalates out of like meeting new friends and how scary that can be. But actually, when those people turn out to be spies as well, and it's kind of the craziness of them. It's a very kooky film. It's a very quirky film. So if you don't get on with that absurdity, then this is not the film for you at all. I don't even know how you'd explain that. I mean, if you're not seeing a quirky Japanese comedy, usually it's very brightly coloured, lots of eccentric characters who do the weirdest things at the drop of a hat and it's all played sort of weirdly deadpan very straight Um, you know there isn't that where you would sort of like have a laugh track or something like that in a western culture in a TV show or something like that it is played very straight but it's over exaggerated as well it's very what we would call hammy it's very overreacted lots of overreactions lots of wide outs are like um, I'm trying to think of the best example of it. Well, you've seen the Infinite Two Minutes, haven't you? Oh yes, wonderful it's movie. Really, really good movie. But again, so like a lot of the reactions are overreactions. Instead of being like, "Oh, hang on, that's, that's not right," it's like, "Oh no, oh god, it's kind of like, well, no, I can't believe it, no, no, no." And it's kind of that overreaction yeah. that kind of lends itself to the comedy. It's often very, very funny as well. So. And this is it. If you're in tune with it, if you've seen any of these kind of films or anything that leans into the more absurd side of things, it's brilliant. I mean, like, for example, there's one example on this one. Uh, Our main character goes, she wants to have a change in life. She says she wants to go and get a haircut, as many people would. And she kind of goes in, she sees this perming helmet thing. I mean, I I, I haven't had hair since I was 19, so I don't know what they're called. (laughs) But it is this this perming equipment. She looks at it and says, oh, I just kind of want to have a cut. And anyway, one way or another, she gets convinced to have this perm. And whilst the, um, the guy who's doing the perm, the hairdresser, he's there going, look, this is going to take an age. Do you mind if I rehearse my dance routine? <laughs> and he literally hits play on the stereo and he dances. And you kind of get her in a monologue of her describing this dance and actually saying, yeah. he's not a bad dancer. Right? This would be awkward if he wasn't such a good dancer. He's not a great dancer. <laughs> we can all see his dancing, but that's what he's doing. As a middle-aged white man who plays in a punk band for 10 years, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's all sorts of scenes like that. It's um, The main spies are just hijinks after hijinks after hijinks. It, it, it's quite weird in pretty much every scene um, which gives it this sort of like heightened dream like weird wonderland idea of this where this has taken place it's basically in some uh, nondescript Japanese village town thing, it could be in Tokyo as far as I'm concerned but I don't think they actually reference where it is yeah it's more of a port town isn't it but it, it, yeah it, it's kind of it's not quite out in the sticks but it's not it's kind of in between it's as you get out of the main area kind of thing yeah and um, it's 
I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm a fan of the other one more than this one. Um, because I think it's about relatability, and I'm not saying I can't relate like female characters. That would be a hugely stupid thing for me to say. <laughs> oh, like, oh, you're being recorded. We got that on tape. We got that on tape. <laughs> Luckily, I can't. I, I I pick what the clips that I got on promotion. <laughs> I'm okay. I but, edit. Uh, it's my choice. <laughs> but uh, I mean, like, there's certain like. Uh, Coming of age stories, which I relate to female characters much more than I do males. Like I related so much to uh, what was it called, um, Ladybird. I found that very relatable. But this one, I think it's there's an awful lot of culture shock about this. Like I said earlier, when he was describing the plot, the fact that she's bored with life in the early twenties, it's kind of weird. As a, a plot point, like, like um, cross cultural plot, plot point. Yeah, I mean, to me, that that lends itself actually a lot to the film, especially where we're talking about when she finds the postage stamps and the little routines together. I know I mentioned I mentioned last time, and might be me taking a massive leap, is how much of this is a fantasy of hers. How much is she making actually making up in her head? Like, for instance, we were talking about the turtle earlier. She grabs it and she throws it out the window and realises, ooh, that was a mistake, and runs downstairs and catches it. Obviously, that's impossible. Regardless, of, I mean, if you're living on the third floor of a building and you're running downstairs, you're not catching out a turtle, even if it does have a parachute on. But it's that kind of, like, this is what she wants to do. This is what she wants to happen. She lives a very lonely existence. Her husband is away all the time and he only really cares about the turtle anyway. So she kind of starts making these stories. Now, these could be people she's meeting, but stories that she's then projecting onto them. And I think it's that deal of loneliness, even though you're surrounded by people. It is a very lonely existence. Actually, the spies I did want to bring uh, bring up, uh, they're played by... Here we go. Now, I never say these names out loud. I might have been into this for like 20 odd years, but I've never said these names out loud. So, uh, Rio Iwamatsu, Irefuse, and Yutaka Matsushige. And they're the uh, ramen chef and the two, the husband and wife spies. They actually appear in quite a few of uh, Satoshi and Miki's films as well. Like they do appear mm. in this in Swamp. They do appear in Tokyo, uh, Drift in Tokyo. And he said Tokyo Drift. You know what? I've been doing that for weeks now. I keep saying Tokyo <laughs> Drift. And it's like, this is not Tokyo Drift. That's a weird. <laughs> Nothing alike. <laughs> to be honest. That's a very different film. <laughs> Don't go and see Tokyo yeah. Drift if you want to see a quirky Japanese. Oh, yeah, the, 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 uh, the ramen chef is such an interesting plot point as well. Because yeah. it, it's kind of in this weird, depressed town. And he's willfully chosen to make... I can't. It's described as Brahman that doesn't have any character. It's very yeah, ordinary. It's passable. It's yeah, you go, you pay your money, you have it, and you say it's all right, nothing special. I won't remember it in a week, and that's kind of what he. That's his cover as a spy. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, is it becomes it becomes quite tragic. Actually, his character arc, I think, like that. Because the one time he he does say this is the Brahman that I can really make. Yeah. But if I did it, I'd be people would notice me. Yeah, and then, and then the one time well, plot spoilers, uh, spoiler um, the one time he does actually make ramen to the best of his ability and people are like ooh yeah. <laughs> this is really good you know so and it is it kind of ties into that whole don't judge people on first impressions yes he might be yeah. doing this but there's a reason why he's doing it. there's a reason why people are doing this there's a reason why this friend has gone 
turning yeah, out it's, her. And there's a reason why the best friend, even though she's called her life, is a complete and utter mess. You know. In, oh yeah, I mean she's she's um, caught in all sorts of schemes, and she's terrible with money. She's lending yeah. money off the wrong people. It's a wild life she's living. So yeah, no, yeah. I mean. It's one of these things where it's like a slow crawl of independence, I guess, where she's maybe dreaming of these things, but mm-hmm. she's finding a fate, she's finding a confidence. At the beginning, she's sort of like lost until her, well, well, her friend's on her way, so she makes like this liver with a straw, which I think, you're not in, you're not boring. If you can do that, you're not boring. <laughs> <laughs> but slowly by, bit by bit, she becomes the person that she could be, really. She's not defined by a uh, vacant marriage. Mm. Yeah, she's her own person. She can yeah, kind of come I mean, that is that is the arc, um, which I think is, is endearing. It's always endearing. Um, I mean, it's, it's a big theme of a lot of these movies. Uh, I think there was... I can't remember the name of the director, but um, I think there's another third window movie called uh, See, you, See Everybody Tomorrow. Yes. Oh, yes, um... Yeah, it's from the director of the the native duck, foreign duck, and God in a coin locker. Yeah, uh, whose name I cannot remember right now. But yeah, no, see you tomorrow, everyone. It, it's it, that's an odd film. I, I must admit that it's a really good film. I would recommend oh, yeah. everyone going out and seeing it. But it's kind of one of those half an hour in. I think it's about a two hour movie, but half an hour in, you kind of thinking, I don't like this lead character. It, 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 the weird thing is, he's played by one of the most lovely, likable actors in yeah. Japanese cinema, Gaku Himada, who's just yes, so yeah, lovely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, brilliant fish story as well. Oh, so good. Oh, yeah. um, and Sakebob as well. Oh. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, that, and that's another weird film. Well, this one, I, uh, she's so endearing. It's just her life is so out of control. Now, oh, yeah. I know I've kind of played my hand a little bit. I do love this film. I love its quirkiness. It has me in fits and giggles. It's the film I use to get my eldest into Japanese cinema, which they have a little bit. Okay. Um, That's a weird choice, but... Well, well, this is it. They kind of... It was that, Kamikaze Girls, Linda, 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 and... Because they've got quite a quirky sense of humour, very similar to mine. Who knew? Um, (laughs) It's... So I kind of used films like that that had that kinetic energy to them that, that just carried on moving forward. And as I said, no, I love Turtles. I, I think it's a really good film, but even I'll admit, after, on the hour mark, it seems to grind to a complete halt. It's yeah. Like they've gone on the fishing trip. They've introduced some new characters that I'm not going to go into too much detail. And it's kind of for a payoff on a joke later on, which doesn't quite hit because everything grounds to a halt when they were introduced. And, and it's a shame but you can tell this is only his second feature at this point and he's got yeah. a lot of really good ideas it's just it's not there it, it's it, it misses it a little bit I like it but it's I would it's by far away not it is a sketch comedy uh, movie and that's fine there's been some great ones of that over the years but I think he's at his I mean it's hard to say when only three of his movies have been released but off the evidence of these three he's at his best where he's using like a, a story and having all of these weird things happen on the sides yeah. rather than um, everything wacky being in the middle and the story being sort of pushed to the sides. Yeah, or it could be just sort of like uh, flowing underneath and it's it's still there. It's kind of waving every now and again, but, oh, look at this funny thing over here. You know, we'll yeah. talk about it later about random people with guitars and things like that. Yeah, um, it's, it's like um, the, 
it gets a little bit lost in the focus as well. Like you said, uh, yeah. towards the end when the men in suits turn up and it just kind of yeah. loses its way almost completely. Yeah. Really. And, that's it. But, and then it seems to be set up for a joke that happens right towards the end and it doesn't hit because you're kind of like, well, yeah. if these guys have been introduced like half an hour earlier, even just in passing, it would have made it a bit better and you could have kept checking in on them throughout kind of thing. Yeah. But you know what? For a second feature... It's it's such a minor thing when the, when the oh, overall yeah. experience. I love it. I think it's great. It, it suits my personality perfectly. It's all my, my yeah, whatever. Um, Ab- yeah, it's, it's absolutely charming. Really, I mean that's and that's it. It is just charming. It's one of those films I can sit down anytime. Uh, I've seen it. It's probably my second most viewed third window film. Okay. Yeah. That's a good competition. That's up to you. Fish story has been seen a thousand times. Yeah, I hope the director of that comes up because any excuse to watch that one again is a uh, one that I'll grab up off hands. Takeshi-san, Kyoki, what's up?警察官は聖職者であることを各自念頭において。その職務に対し。怒りを持って励んでもらいたいということです。立場を抜きにすれば嫌いじゃないけどね。いざという時、あれを始末する人間はいるのか。So this is the part of the show where we pick who is going to come up next. Um, We have, where are we? A lot of directors. A lot, a lot of directors. Um, On the list, we have 413. And using a random number generator, random.org is available, but, you know, use whatever you want. I'm, you know, open-minded. It is number 372. So scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down. Scrolling down. Scroll four pages down. <laughs> oh, cool. Takashi Katano. Beat Katano. Excellent. Oh, some yeah. great choices to be had there. But so, uh, you've, got, um, you've got Hannah B, you've got the Boiling Point, Gozik, Battle Royale, I mean, which oh, may yeah. or may not be discussed later on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he was he was my way into Japanese movies. Uh, I think, perfectly honest, I think I, I can't remember what the label was that did it, but it was like a really sort of crummy DVD that released. Uh, I think it was uh, Violent Cup, Violent Point, and yeah, I've got those downstairs. The the Tokyo Bullet, yeah, and, and they released a load of stuff like the score film Black Angel. Yeah, they, they were very much a budget label, and it was at a time when. Not a lot of East Asian cinema was getting released over here, and it wasn't really no. until Kill Bill came out that people suddenly went, "Were?" Yeah, and all in that really bugged me. That movie. I mean, I like it, but everybody almost suggested that Quentin Tarantino was a, being original with this thing, and yeah, no, he, he wasn't. He's never been an original in anything he does, but he doesn't have to be. You know, he no. could have a great cover version and still be great. I, I, was, yeah. I was, I was, I was, I had like Asian movies. Asian movies was my thing, and you know, I was angry young man. Said, he, he's not copying off my thing. It's my thing. He's just a Johnny Come Lately. You know what it's like when you're young and you've got anger and you don't know where to point it. 
You know what? I was just happy I could actually get a half decent version of Lady Snowblood. That's what I was worried because I had a VHS <laughs> rip for years that I bought uh, off some guy in a, on a market and he was sort of like, could you get Japanese movies? And like, yeah, there's Lady Snowblood. <laughs> and it was like 10th generation VHS. So oh. at least with the Warrior DVD, even though that looks terrible now compared to the Arrow Blu-ray, it's, yeah. you know, it just made these oh, films yeah. accessible. So... I'm yeah. grateful for whatever. But, uh, yeah, Beat Katano, when he was part of the Two Beats, I, can't, I think it's one of those weird comedy troops where it's, again, based on Japanese language, where it's all about puns and phrases, and it doesn't translate well. And then he went on to make uh, probably one of the biggest cultural exports as far as TV and Japanese um, media goes, Takashi's Castle. Yes. Which he barely appeared on, but it made him a household name basically over the world if people even didn't know who he was. Um, being in a few American movies, I think he was in Ghost in the Shell. He was in that he was, briefly. He was in. Well, he did another one. He did his own American movie. Um, oh, Br- Brother, I think it was called. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I want to say Brotherhood, but it's not. It's Brother, you're right. Actually, weirdly enough, speaking about Beat Takeshi, the link to Turtles are surprisingly fast swimmers. Apparently, uh, it is Ido Fuse, the wife, spy, she appears in Boiling Point. Mm. Apparently so. I don't know I don't know whether it's a small part on the back or anything like that. I don't know. It's a pretty... If only we had a tool that told us everything in the world ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty small cast in Boiling Point now, so... Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it, Why are you uh, doing that? Uh, the beauty of this one, though, is it's going to be a two-parter, so we can cover all sorts of things from his filmography. Looking forward to that a great deal. Oh, yeah, no. And especially as well, because he's done so many various types of films as well. Here we go. She plays Fumio. Fumio. That sounds familiar, yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I bought the BFI Blu-ray set, even though I've still got those Tokyo Bullet DVDs. Yeah. I upgraded to the Blu-ray set, and it's like... It's still wrapped. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> too bad at this. I'm so bad at it, but yeah. No, yeah, he's absolutely. such a cool guy. I really have a lot of time for. Uh, oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, he went off the boil, but yeah, he's got off a great the boiling point. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Right. With his uh, outrage trilogy, which uh, people say is good, but I've only I've seen the first seen one. I was going to say, I've not seen them at all. It, it's one of those... Uh, tell you what, we'll come back to him because he, he may or may not come up later on. Again. Okay, okay. 100万円。これをお前にやる。その代わりに俺に付き合え。付き合うって何に東京散歩。これは福原愛一郎って。街で岸辺一徳に会うといいことある。来た。東京の思い出の場所の半分がコインパーキングになってるからな。俺小さい頃に両親に捨てられたから。福原さんどうしたんですかね? So, um, we'll jump from that in a movie number two, 2007's um, Adrift in Tokyo. Um, a much more solemn affair, I guess. Um, this one stars a law student who's... He's got gambling debts through the nose, and um, in one of the first scenes, a heavy a lone shark's employee 
turns up and demands the money. He going so far as putting his socks in his mouth, and saying, "If if if you have to come back again, yeah, I'll do something worse." It's definitely a different tone from Turtles. <laughs> so, like, even though it's kind of got that playful day glow kind of feeling, it's a lot murkier. This is coming yeah. from a much darker place. Um, but yeah, uh, that happens. He, he's really worried. He goes wandering out to the local train stop, um, tram station, whatever have you. Um, finds a key on the floor, opens it. There's a locker full of um, little. What was it again? It was the rumours, wasn't it? Those rumour dolls. Yes, yeah. And the nose of a... Uh, Probably. <laughs> well, yeah. Of, yeah. Um, from that, he's propositioned with this idea that he will give uh, the, the loan shark employee, mobster guy, will give him, I think it's one million yen to accompany him on a walk across Tokyo. It was enough to pay off his debts, which were about 800000 and then have a little bit in his pocket afterwards kind of thing. So it's, it's kind of like this this sweet deal of sort of like actually get yourself back on the path yeah. kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, um, I love this one, I'll be honest. Yeah. It's an excellent movie. Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, no, it is a really, really good movie. And, and as I said earlier, you can kind of see, even though it was only two features late, because he did made instant swamp in between these two, you can really see his growth as both a writer and a director. Yeah. It's a much more level-headed... I mean, when it goes wild, it goes wild. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Like, there's one bit where the... Uh, where the heavy and the student are sharing a hotel room because they've been walking all over Tokyo... Uh, all day and they're sharing this hotel room and I can't quite remember where the joke came from but he end, the student ends up making a noise that he's never made before. Oh yeah, because uh, he suggests that uh, at one point somebody, she's, his wife's been sleeping around and at one point somebody turned him down. Like, Hang yes. on, that sort of thing's happened to me. Yeah, and he, that, he takes his water out and he shows her a picture. Oh, no. It's, it's it's not, that's it. <laughs> and he just makes this noise. And you hear the, the, the internal monologue going, I have never made a noise like this in my life. And it is, it, it's an absolutely insane noise that he makes. But it, it comes out of nowhere, but it's within the context of the story as well. So it's not quite as blindsiding as, say, yeah. the stuffed squid from Turtles and things like that, or as wild as the dancing hairdresser, that kind of thing. Yeah, and there's like a drama in certain um, instances of comedy as well. Uh, mm. Like he, he's always wondered the the mobsters always wondered why, uh, how this this watch shop makes money because people don't need to buy cl- watches and clocks that much. Um, so he asks him, and uh, the shopkeeper says, "How how dare you? Yeah, how dare like you question me? It's like he's accusing him of being on the Swiss. It's like, are you laundering money for the mob or something? And he's like, how." Dare you? <laughs> and then he, he basically erupts into a, a fight. He, he drops his paws and then he starts throwing kicks and beating up the mobster. And then they, they jump in a, a car, go down the road, and he, there he is in a park after him. He's followed them all that way. Yeah. He's not. He's not dropping it. It's a. It's a great, great gag. But uh, yeah, it's effectively it's a story about sort of um, finding your place in the world again, but in a much more solemn down to earth where it's not told through hijinks it's told told through just slow burn of catching affection really because um the joe Odegiri character he's i think that's the right name 
Yes. Yeah, it's, it, that's the actor. Uh, it's uh, uh, Fumi, uh, Fumiya Takamura is the character. Yeah. But yeah, no, and, and this is it. It's, it's kind of a growth of two people. Mm. One kind of looking on the realisation of wanting family. He's never really had support. He's been left to his own devices. And now he's kind of got this father figure. And one person kind of living with regret. And it's sort of like, look, I ended up in my position because of the mistakes I made. It's not too late for you. You can really change this about. And he's given him this opportunity, maybe an opportunity he never received. It was about, for me, it was about passing on to that next generation. Yeah. Don't get me started on I've spent all day in the mother-in-law, so please don't get me started on <laughs> So it's, um, yeah. yeah. But it, 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 you can see it's that. You can see it's just two people trying to find themselves along later in life, and it's never too late to find yourself. Oh, no. I mean, as well as finding yourself, there's a real affection for Tokyo as well. Yes. I feel. Oh, no, it's, it's definitely love letter to Tokyo, but not the Tokyo that we would usually see. No, no, I mean, we, we go down, like, back streets, and uh, yeah. I think there's, a, it's like, a soothsayer on the streets of, was it Akihabara? No, it wasn't Akihabara, yeah, was yeah. it? Or was it Akihabara? I, um, one of the suburbs I'm gonna, of I'm going to say yes, I can't remember. It's either that or should be, uh, it's one of the I think two, it would be, uh, should be, yeah. Uh, but it's it, like it a, one of them, but it, it's not, as I say, it's not going, you're not going to get glimpses of the Tokyo Tower, even though the Tokyo Tower is mentioned in the film. Mm. It's not about that. It's about life in Tokyo. It's about people yeah. in Tokyo. Yes, people go there and they want to do the crossing in, I can't remember right now, but they, they want to go to all these various places in Tokyo. Uh, I very nearly went to. Just before the pandemic, I got flights booked and everything, and then something called COVID happened. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it is a real love letter. It's somebody who's grown up in Tokyo, who loves Tokyo, and just wants to tell this tale of people in Tokyo, yes. rather than Tokyo molding the people. Yeah, and it's always a wonderful... Well, I wouldn't say wonderful. It's always a balancing point there where uh, it tends to get a bit lost in the mix. When there's like a love letter to a town, and it tends to be about the town, and everything else comes secondary. It's it's a much more complete filmmaker at work here, I think, where he's yes. telling this story, he's showing the town that he's in love with, and he has the comedy on the sides as well. So he's hitting the the viewer on, on three levels, and I think he's he's done each of them really really rather well. And this is it. It, it feels much more that he's got uh, an end game, whereas with Turtles he doesn't. He feels like. I'm just going to crack joke after joke after joke and eventually I'll come to something. With this, it feels like he's got an end game. Even though... And I, I'm not going to give anything away with this one. Even though it could be argued that it doesn't feel like that, for me, it was very much a kind of... That handing of the torch has, has happened and then it's right time for you to go on with it. But it could be argued that, oh, I was left very much up in the air. Yeah. But I like that ambiguity to it. But yeah, I don't want to get too much into that sort of thing because I, honestly, I yeah. encourage anyone listening to this who, who A, listens to me, you fool, um, <laughs> or just, you know, who likes that kind of lightness because there is a lightness, even though we've kind of, it, it is darker than Turtles in many ways. It ha- it, it's life affirming as well. Oh, yeah. In, in I mean, a it's... tragic way, but yeah, very life affirming. Like there's other little uh, bits in particular which I think will help a lot of people and a lot of people will find relatable is it's finding families 
elsewhere. It's finding new family structures. And there's a wonderful um, passage, about half an hour or so, uh, towards just after the middle, where they have this, this family set up. And it's just a point in the movie where I think that the character realises that, okay, hang on, I'm enjoying this. This is what people have been talking about, about family. Because he makes a comment earlier on about how um, when he got his um, end-of-year book, his, his yearbook from college or high school, whatever it is, he burnt it because memories aren't for him. He just wants to live in the now and motor forward. Yes. So he's got this this passage of time where he just... He's got a family. And well, he enjoys it. That he's not physically related to. And kind of showing that you don't necessarily have to have the people you're related to to have a family. Yeah. I mean, that's something I can relate to, just kind of opening um, inside baseball here for a moment. I kind of come from a very a very abusive background kind of thing from my parents and things like that. So kind of growing up, the, my parents weren't around a lot, that kind of thing. So it, it's there is a disconnect there. But now I have my own family. I can really see a for my youngest, certainly. Eldest, it's too late. They've gone. They're in university. It's too late for them. But certainly for the youngest, is trying to make it as comfortable as possible, kind of thing, and kind of steer away from all those things that affected me, not affect them so much. So it's kind of having an appreciation from both sides of the coin. Yeah, and well. it, it, it doesn't do it in a way where it, I don't know how to word this, um, like a Korean Harakatsu movie would do it, where it's, it's all very, very humble. Um, he sets up this family dynamic where it's hugely dysfunctional. In every single level, there's a woman who he was hired to play as a fake wife in a wedding for, for somebody. Yeah, the, the, the pair of them basically, it was the side, it was either the groom or the bride side at this wedding. They didn't have much family. It's quite a, well, I'm not going to say it's a common practice, but it's not unheard of either, where people have been hired to play family members. You know, the, the groom knows, the bride knows, but it's kind of like, look, I need to kind of bulk out my side of the, of the, of the aisle. So it's, so they hire people and then it kind of leads to conversations with other ones where they're playing these characters and it kind of leads to an awkward kind of uh, conversation with an artist and it's all like, and now he's trying to avoid it. And it is, it's kind of like that payoff of a, and you kind of like, it might act very much, um, that he's trying, I'm trying to think of the right words here. Um, it's been a long day. It's um, now it's gone, but it, it, it is very much. It, it plays to always oh, acting weird, but actually, there's a reason for that weirdness. Whereas before, it was very much we're weird because we're being weird. Like for yeah, instance, it, it, going back to turtles, like the sumo with the dad. Yeah, it comes out of nowhere. And then he's sort of like, oh, we're being kooky, we're being weird. Now, although I find that funny, I can see how that would grate on a lot of people. Whereas in this, he's actually like, no, I'm being weird, and here's the reason why. Yeah, and there's like little instances of the drama around all the comedy on the sides being from that dysfunction as well. There's a scene where they go to a, a restaurant where I've never seen the like of it before. It's like a little ball of green jelly but they don't call it jelly they call it something else entirely I can't remember the name of yeah, it yeah no, I know yeah it's like he's been going there the gangster guy he's been going there for years yeah. he takes this other guy <laughs> it's just sort of like it's like a green it's not green tea jelly but it's kind of that kind of thing it, it's yeah. But yeah 
And when he gets there, um, there's like an altercation between the shop owner and her and his wife. And there's other bits where he goes to a tatami mat shop, and the owner keeps them beating them up with it's like there's big mats. If you have, you don't know what a tatami mat is, it's the big mats that you get in sort of the floors of Japanese houses, big plasticky woodeny things. And it's it's all based on character moments. It's all based on character history, and it gives it a, a levity. Right. I mean, I know it's it's very funny. Tells of uh, surprising these fascinators, but it's a very much an improv sort of sketch comedy style. Whereas this, it's all about who these characters are and their journeys through life. Because that is, it's a drift through Tokyo. It's about their journeys through Tokyo. And it's about their journeys through life in Tokyo. So all thematically, it, it's of a of a kind. All sticks together. And everybody's got a history of it. Each character that you meet along the way, they've got their own history. They've got their own thing. You may only spend five, ten minutes with them, but you kind of come out of it thinking from that initial impression of feeling something completely different by the end of it, like the artist, uh, like mm. the makeshift family. Because when you initially hear what they do and things like that, you're kind of like, oh, okay. But then by the end of it, you kind of get, these are just people looking for a lot of the same things. In, yeah. in other people you know, and it is and then we've kind of got the backstory as well kind of changing direction completely with the three people in the shop who work with the wife of this guy uh, who we yeah. may or may not be dead it's, isn't she it's so weird weird scenes like, it's a bit that made me laugh the most um, there's like a thing that she puts on like the manager of the company there's a thing he puts in his hair and makes his hair smell nice and They've got a scene where it says, smell my hair. What does my hair smell like? Yeah. <laughs> and, it's like, smell the crown of the head. And go, oh, it stinks. What's going on? What's that smell like? It smells like the sea. So let me smell, let me smell. And it's like a running thing for all of it. It's a great little bit after the credits as well where he puts like a yeah. tube on his hair and yeah. uh, and sniffs it. It smells of rubber. There's lots of little kind of lines throughout that kind of pay off as well. There's like something that... Uh, alludes to the actor Itoku Kishibe hmm. or Kishibe or, very uh, very famous actor if you don't yeah. know him by name you know him by face also a legend of music as well he was in a band called the Tigers uh, where he was a bass player also did singing he's got like over 130 acting credits this man you'll know him he, he's, I don't think he's ever been a main player main but he's definitely always been sort of like a, a character actor for one of the best. Yeah, films. I think he's well, one of the most famous roles in uh, Takashi Miike's 13 Assassins. Yes, yeah. I can't remember who he plays in that, but yeah, he's in that. He is in that, yeah. It's a big but, ensemble, that movie, but yeah, it's it's just a lovely movie, honestly. I think still. It's charming. It's, it, I don't, it's not as light and fluffy as Turtles is. And whilst I prefer Turtles as a film, I can see, you know, without any bias, the to- uh, drift in Tokyo. <laughs> he said it again, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> a drift in Tokyo is a much better film. You can really see that progression from Turtles to this. Yeah, it leaps and bounds, and just and with one film in between. And again, Instant Swamp, you can see the growth, but it kind of loses itself, and it's you can see that bridge, and it does act as a nice bridge. But this is the much complete film. If I was going to introduce this director to somebody, this is the film I would use. Yeah, I mean, um, Japanese comedy, Japanese family comedy about finding a family. It's a very, very specific niche, and I think it, it works. I think the Japanese have got a handle on it because there's so many movies like this which I would use as sort of like entry points to introducing people to Japanese cinema. Yeah. 
Um, I mentioned uh, see everybody. I see you all tomorrow. I think I, I always forget the name of that see one. See you tomorrow, everybody. Yeah. Um, w- everybody Woodsman, everybody. Woodsman in the rain. There's another one which I think is genuinely a masterpiece. I just had a thought as well. I'll tell you what, this would make an interesting um, double feature with is Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Tokyo Sonata. Very different sort of end of the spectrum. That's much Very more sombre, but yeah, yeah. But it's that family dynamic, whereas that one would look at it very much as the family living together, born together, who have to be together, but don't necessarily want to be, whereas in Tokyo Drift, it's people looking for that family, looking for yeah. that reward. I mean, it's kind of that duality, but yeah. Okay, wonderful to be yeah. Okay, so, Drift in Tokyo, totals are surprisingly fast swimmers. Satoshi Miki as a whole, what do you think of him as a filmmaker? From the films I've liked, now bearing in mind I've only seen the three, Turtles, Instant Swamp and Adrift in Tokyo. I like this style, I like these early films. As I say, if it was if it was easy to get hold of his other films, I would be interested. These yes. three films alone would make me very interested in seeing what else he's done. Um, it's just a shame with regards to availability and me having a moral stance and not wanting to pirate things. You know? but I mean, I'm complete, sure they are com- complete clarity. I mean, he, I mean, I've tried to dig deeper to sort of get a good perception of what other stuff he's done, and even trying to pirate them, it's still very, very, very difficult. The only one I could manage is the insect one, and that's that's pushing it. And, and this is it. It's the same. No, gentlemen, this is a personal choice kind of thing. It's just, oh, no, it's just one of those horrible things, isn't it? I mean, you want to watch movies from Japan, and if you want, they don't release them over here. So, it it's a moral conundrum. You don't want to pirate, but at the same time, where else are you going to get them? Especially when it's a low budget film or, or some like a director like this, who you want to support, you want to financially give them money, and it's kind oh, of yeah. like. Nobody's given me the opportunity to do it. I can't even rent it on iTunes. It would be easy to put it on iTunes, give it to me. But again, it comes down to international rights, and especially in countries like Japan, uh, where they've got a very old way of thinking. It's like, for instance, it's taken the longest time. I'm going to go into anime a little bit. It's taken the longest time to have things like One Piece available in this country. You could get the movies, but you couldn't get the show. Because Toei, who owned the... Uh, no, Toei animation is it to do one piece I know they do Dragon Ball Z you couldn't get that either unless you bought the physical copies because the directors of those comics were still after TV rights and it was kind of like, well, it's an old model even back yeah. in like 2006 2007 it's a bit of an old model you know why are you not aiming it at either streaming services or getting it released legally and it's kind of that so even though it's only been over the last couple of years that the complete series of one piece, but even though it's not complete and it's over a thousand episodes long, um, <laughs> considerable series, <laughs> considerable series. I started it and I gave up after about three hundred. <laughs> just like, I can't do this anymore. Um, but because of those kind of things, because of those availability issues, it forces people down that path, and it's such a shame because it's such an easy solution. I say, I don't do it. So I don't. It's, the Japanese industry is behind in other ways too. I mean, uh, they haven't adopted the idea of music streaming or music downloads either. I remember um, I went to a festival in Birmingham years ago. Saw a garage punk band called. It was Two C Zombie, and I think I was looking for the CD for about seven years. We eventually found it on German eBay. So it's. 
there's the lens you got to go to to find these sort of filmmakers, to find these sort of things. I, I do believe there's a label in France who is particularly good at uh, Asian stuff. I can't remember the name of the company specifically. But there, there is one, oh, and again, this is going to drive me mad because I can't remember. There, there is one French company who are doing a lot of the Shaw Brothers, but the really deep dive Shaw Brothers, kind of even going yeah. deeper than what 88 films are doing over here at the moment. And they're really doing proper cleanup jobs on them as well. Yeah, it might be the same it's, company it's, we're thinking of. Yeah, maybe it is, maybe it is. It, it begins with an S, and you know what? Yeah, it's, de- it's definitely the same company then we're thinking of. It's, um, oh, you know what, I know somebody on Twitter who follows them. We were talking about them earlier today. Uh, you know what, it's not important. Go and figure it out. Go and find French Shaw Brothers movies. I'll put it in the show notes, so yeah, if you're interested, we'll you can find it. But, but yeah, yeah, it's... But, you, you want to love these directors. You want to support these directors. You want to see where they go and develop with them and find new things, new directors, new tastes, new styles of comedy, which Satoshi Miki is for like Western sensibility. But you just can't. I'm not throwing fingers at any label. It's just the nature of the industry, which is the real sad fact of this stuff. Yeah. But uh, all, all the plaudits in the world for Third Window for doing the little that they can do on their own. Yes, so support third window. Buy them. Don't pinch them and do naughty things with them. Just, I, th- I think they're just celebrating their fifteenth anniversary as well. So yes, do support yeah. them. Yeah, no, give them some support. They, they've done some good job. Not all of the films have been great. Not a, um, is it, they did a film called Teenage Hooker turned into a killing robot. Yeah, I, I, I think it was. Um, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's about how a bunch of. 20-somethings with mad hair live in a, a flat and it's all shot within the space of one flat. I, I hated oh, that. Yeah, that, it was like a two-and-a-half-hour movie as well, wasn't it? it was, yeah, I gen- yeah, genuinely, genuinely hate that movie. But they can't all be winners and not every movie is for you, but that's just the way it is. Okay. <laughs> So, there's that. Our movie of the... Our director of the week, I should say, uh, Satoshi Miki. So, in the next part of the show, we're going to talk about some of the movies that we've been watching recently. Um, okay. So, that's a very leading laugh there. <laughs> no, it is. You know what? I, it's, and for the moment of clarity, basically, I'm known on Twitter as the Trash King. As hmm. Because I will quite happily watch shark exploitation and iffy... Black exploitation movies from the nineteen seventies and given five stars on that box. That's me. However, I must confess, I haven't really been doing a lot of trash recently, so I can't really turn around and live up to my name, unfortunately. But do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, can do. I mean, uh, I mentioned it on our last record, our last attempt at recording. So I thought I've got the Blu-ray now, the uh, Masters of Cinema Blu-ray. So I may as well give it a whirl for this. Um, but uh, Alex Cox's Repo Man. Which I, I had sort of really warped memories of this. I don't really remember anything about it other than the, the punk 
rock sort of um, soundtrack. Like it was back yes. flag and circle jerks and, and things like this. So, oh, such great bands. The movie Actually, funny is story gone. about that film. The, the, the movie's fantastic. Funny story about that. The first time I saw that uh, was I can't. Don't think it was moved over, which Alex Cox was doing at the time. But they showed a version of Repo Man, but they redubbed all the swearing. Ah, uh, yes, the famous Melly Farmer cut. Yeah, you, you, the flip you mother flipper kind of thing. <laughs> what the heck is all this about? A flip but you, no, you I, melon it, it farmer. Yeah. Yes, that's or it was something like that. I remember watching it. Being like, what? Um, it's a weird film because it's on one it's almost like a sci-fi about some sort of like near future dystopia where they'll go into shops they are I'm going to get food and they'll go to the side and they'll say there's literal boxes with food written on them there's drinks with drink written on them it's this weird dystopian vision that they're setting up um, it's also a repo man movie about um, getting cars Taking them back, getting the money with a, a, a array of characters in there. Uh, like the mechanic who works with them is just this enigmatic, weird little guy. I don't really know what's going on there with him. And then there's a third sort of like line to it, which is almost like a um, sort of a sci-fi thriller, where there's this car going around and he's increasing the abandoned streets. They must have shot this at like really really early in the morning to get this sort of effect but uh, there's a car going around the streets which has an alien in the boot um, there's probably an American name for that and uh, it's all the people who are trying to steal it and, and get it, we don't really know why or what for, it's kind of ambiguous um, and yeah it's just this mad mix of all sorts of things of a, a young Emilio Estevez and a well, it's a, a pretty on the on the ball. A Harry Dean Stanton being Harry Dean Stanton, basically, uh, which is great, which is gold. Yeah. Even, even in the John Hughes stuff, he did it. Did so, like, yeah. I, I, I'd watch him toast. It's, yeah, but it's, it's it's a weird film. It's not well made, but I love it. It makes no sense, but I still love it. It's just it's that sort. Of, I think it's that sort of why you like. I won't call this trash cinema by any means, but I sort of undercurrent underground cinema which nobody really yeah, knew just, what they were doing they just went for it and it's just something infectious about that and that's exactly because Alex Cox was kind of born out of that it's very much we're going to go we, we don't know how, really how to do this but we're going to go out and do it anyway it's, mm. it, you can kind of trace it back to like what John Waters was doing in many ways don't really know what I'm doing but I'm going to do it anyway and it's yes. such a punk rock aesthetic uh, it's, uh, it's, it's brilliant, but it, it's very much within the understanding that context yeah. of what it is. You know, don't be comparing it to some of the greats of cinema. It is very much its own thing. It's not for everybody. I put that as... Yeah. I, I, I hate even saying that because it just doesn't mean anything. Um, no, but, but it is. Yeah. It, it hasn't got that universal appeal. If somebody came out and said to you, oh, I hated Repo Man, you, you wouldn't really necessarily argue with them. No, no, of course you not. disagree with them, but it would be like... Uh, <laughs> fair enough. No, I can, I can, but you can see that going on. Rough around the edges, oh, yeah. but that kind of gives it a pleasing aesthetic if you're into that kind of thing, which I am. You know, I'm... Yeah, I mean, I love uh, another eighties movie, which is probably garbage in the eyes of a lot of people. But Night of the Comet, love Night of the Comet. It's a Absolutely. ridiculous movie. Yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah. yeah, jumping over here. What have you been catching up with? Uh, 
we've got a few things. A couple I'll brush over really quickly. I finally got to see everything everywhere all at once, which okay. was excellent. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't really keep up to date with new films. Yeah. Uh, so there's things like the Batman that's still out there and there's Top Gun Maverick. I, I, mean, I may see them eventually. I'm not really in a hurry to watch it. This one I was intrigued by. This one kind of caught my interest. And out of all the uh, multiverse movies out there at the moment, now I will confess, I am a Marvel fan. I grew up reading Marvel comics. So this is kind of like the fruition of my childhood. It's like, yay! Mm. So, and there's things I can watch with the kids as well. There's not yeah, yeah. things I can sit down with the kids and sort of like, we're both going to get something out of this. And so, but everything everywhere all at once, if I was going to tell you to go out and watch a multiverse movie, this is it. It's fantastic. It's I just loved it. Uh, I think I gave it five stars on Letterboxd. Um, I will never look at accounting awards the same way again. Uh, <laughs> people who've seen that film will know what I'm talking about. Um but yeah, no, it, it was just refreshing. I, I, I didn't really have a, an idea of where it was going. Yeah, and that's my, a surprise nowadays. My, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but my concern is that the director's previous movie, uh, Swiss Army Man, is a movie which I possibly couldn't have hated more if I tried. But, oh. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. I've, I've not seen that. And you know what? I'm looking forward to seeing it, but it, it's... It was just nice, and it was somebody had finally tapped into that Michelle Yeoh thing. She's got so many strings to her bows. She's not just the act, acting or the Asian action lady. No, no, you know, she's she, excellent. She's got so many different things, that, and people have tried to tap into that before. You know, like Danny Boyle with Sunshine. Um, I also mentioned Mamas of Geisha, but it, it, people have tried to tap into it, and it's never quite worked. With this one, it got it it understood it and it was great to see like James Hong make an appearance it was great to see oh wow oh yeah no, and, and, but it was multi-generational as well it was kind of that understanding of it. kind I'm of amazed. like we were talking about in Drift in Tokyo that the, those differences in generations and yeah, I'm amazed he's still accepted. working honestly like James Hong he must and he's 90 he's now he's 93 like yeah, 150 plus credits I won't be surprised I don't know, we were talking about Kung Fu movies earlier. Actually, he used to do a lot of the dubbing for a company called Axis International, uh, who did a lot of those dubs that the Wu-Tang Clan uh, used and things like that. So actually, he's an old, he does a lot of the dubbing on those early Godzilla movies. Okay. The, the show of the era of Godzilla movies. And you go back and listen to it, and he comes up quite a few times. Um, but yeah, no, those Axis International dubs, I love them. I know they're bad, but they're great. But yeah, I rewatched uh, talking about uh, Bitakeshi. Uh, I rewatched Battle Royale for the first time in years. The other day, I was I I will admit I was hopped up on pain medication. I, I <laughs> my back out, and I was kind of like, oh, and I needed something just comforting. And I know that sounds strange saying Battle Royale is comforting, but I've seen it that many times now over the years that I know it beat for beat for beat. You know, it, yeah. it's just everything about that film is just. Hits no perfect, and, and it's it's a weird thing as well when it comes to Kinji Fukusaku, is that he has got such an amazing back catalogue. You look at the battles without honor and humanity films, and they're amazing. You look at films he did like uh, uh, Shogun Warrior and um, no Shogun Samurai, sorry, not Shogun Warrior, um, and, and all those films he did like that, and it's yeah. absolutely amazing. 
And yet what he's probably best known for is Battle Royale. The last film, and I'm not going to count Battle Royale too, because that was his son that really took over the yeah. writing of that. Yeah, Kenta, yeah. Yeah, have you ever seen any Kenta's other films? It's that like was, Yo-Yo Girl that, and things like that. that. Was, yeah. Honestly, Battle Royale 2 was damage enough. I don't need any more. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, I quite, I just say, I mean, Vampire Girl, Frankenstein Girl, the uh, Tokyo Gore Police, all those, that I love those films. And that kind of, Yo-Yo Girl kind of tapped into that, but that shows him at the height of his skill. It's height of his skill. It sounds really bitchy me, and I don't like being negative. But yeah, Battle Royale is what a swan song. It, it, if you're going to go out, and I know everybody wanted Kinji Fukusaku, uh, Fukusaku and uh, Beat Takeshi to, to work together. Maybe they were thinking they wanted more of a Yakuza film like the Battles Without Honor and Humanity films. But this is brilliant. This is brilliant. Yeah. It's such an understated performance. I mean, you can tell these are drama kids in the room going, ah, and overreacting. <laughs> But and his deadpan wears in that movie. His deadpan oh, are just absolutely like when he starts clapping to the TV at the beginning. Oh, it's just brilliant, brilliant. When he gets shot and he just gets up and answers a phone call as well. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, He's yeah. shouting at his kid, going, "Ah, you just don't respect me." And it, again, it taps into that multi-generational thing, especially mm. in Japan about the mistrust of the youth and of the youth. Yeah, I, I'm going to say something really. I mean when people who don't know world cinema they always use just Akira Kurosawa as the be all and end all and everything Japanese they say samurai movies they say Akira Kurosawa movies like that's the only thing he ever did but I think the one Japanese filmmaker who, if you're going to pick somebody to sort of encapsulate everything that was at its best through Japanese cinema in that era I would always go to Kinji Fukasaku because he was just yes. he did so much so and well did a bit of everything I'm, yes. Some films not so well. You know, I'm, I'm not going to encourage people to go out and see the green slime. <laughs> if you like that sort of uh, thing, by your means. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it's very much in that whole uh, kaiju tokusatsu kind of feel to it, but yeah, but it, it's again. Well, actually, you know, funny story about Akira Kurosawa. He was best mates with uh, Ishiro Honda, the director of Godzilla, the original Godzilla, very, and did very a lot of worlds. And it was, well, he was, uh, Shiro Honda was like second director on like Ran. He did a load of films with Akira Kurosawa. But he was, he got Akira Kurosawa interested in making a kaiju movie. And we were were that (laughs) close to getting an Akira Kurosawa kaiju movie. Toho backed out at the last minute because they were worried about budgets. Even though they already had the director on their books, he was already making films for Toho at the time, back in the 50s. They were just worried that his, uh, because of his samurai movies, his Chambara movies, his Jidaigeki movies had gone so wildly over budget and things like that, they were really worried that a kaiju movie, which was supposed to be cheap knockouts for them, was going to go massively over budget. And what was he going to do with them? He got cold feet. That's such a shame because we were yeah. that close to getting one. But you know what? I didn't want to talk about those two movies because everybody talks about those two movies at the moment. There's two films I do want to briefly mention though. Um, both Korean films one called Inside Men which on the sound of it sounds like a porno but it really isn't I've heard of that one yeah yeah yeah. Um, it's uh, Woo Min Ho as Lee Byung Hun uh, Cho Seung Woo and Baek Yu Sik I mean I would again talking about actors eating toast Lee Byung Hun I would watch him do everything you might know him from Better Sweet Life that's a movie that needs a new release in this country it's a stunning action movie yeah. so good he is absolutely yes. fantastic he, he was in uh, actually a lot of people would know him opposite Troy Min-sik in I Saw the Devil as well yeah. 
I personally don't like that film. But Cho Seung Wu uh, was in a great film called Assassination, um, which is very much an historical period piece. Yes. Go watch it. it. It's really good. It's available on Vic. I know it's available here on Vicky, uh, uh, which is a Korean streaming site, but it's available pretty much. I think you can get it on desk and things like that as well. It's a really, really good film. Uh, he's also in things like Taz of the High Rolls and one of Thailand's Asia Extreme films, H, which not many people saw. It's all right. It's okay. Um, Bieg Yun Sik, he has been in pretty much everything. He was in Save the Green Planet, uh, President's Last Bang, uh, Taz of the High Rollers, Metamorphosis, which I think made an appearance on Shudder not so long ago. Uh, about oh, pretty, very existing. Yeah, I had issues with it. Um, and also The Chase on Netflix as well. He's been in loads of things. You'll recognize him as soon as you see him. Really good political thriller. Nobody makes thrillers like South Korea. This just has it. I mean, uh, you've got a gangster. Sorry, I'm waffling now, but we've got a gangster. We've got a, a news reporter. We've got a chief prosecutor. And it's kind of the dynamic they have around the legitimacy of a candidate who's going running for president and it is fantastic it is so good so good and just one other one one that I watched last night and I haven't written much down about it called Midnight Runners directed by Kim Ju uh, Kim Ju Hwan uh, starring Park Si Jun and Kang Han Yo the again it, it's that action comedy thriller that is so unique they, the South Korean film they hit you with one tone and then completely flip out on his head. I take it you've seen The Wailing, right? And how many gear changes there are in that film. I know it's a three-hour film, but there's like four or five gear changes in there and it, they just hit so perfectly. And it's the same with this. It's much lighter. It's much more popcorn. It's about a couple of uh, police cadets who, you know, come from poorer backgrounds or kind of end up in a place that they don't really want to be. And they go out and they're on the pool, they're, they're having a laugh and they keep getting told they're poor because they're trying to join the police force. And then they, they witness this woman getting kidnapped and they go, Jay, but they're, they're, because they're not qualified policemen, they're not supposed to go after, but every time they kind of raise it with policemen, they're always too busy. They've always got too many other things on there or too many things going. And again, but it's really smart, really clever. So they go away and investigate, even though they're told not to and they're threatened with expulsion and things like that. <laughs> A really good, solid thriller. It starts off very comedic, very light, and then shifts gear about halfway through, and all of a sudden it turns into this tight... Actually, the nearest comparison was uh, Na Hong Jin's The Chaser. Ah, that's a good... Yeah, wonderful movie. Really good, wonderful film. Absolutely brilliant. He hasn't made a bad film yet. Um, But... The way that kind of opens, well, it's that kinetic energy where you kind of start and the, and the main guy's a bit sleazy and you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm into this. And then that gear change and the fact that they introduced the killer so early on, but it just turns into that kinetic energy where you are... There's that part in the shop where everything kind of goes a bit... And you, you, you don't... You know he's going to kill somebody. 
yes. but you don't really know what's going on. I, I honestly had me on the edge of the seat, but this is kind of similar as well. When it hits those chase movies, these guys are on fire, hence the name Midnight Runners, because they're running from police station to police station trying to get somebody to believe them what's going on. And it is just, it's just such a good movie. Again, available on Vicky. Um, for the purposes of clarity, I do tend to use a VPN with it. Sorry, no, I take a flight to America to get it. That's what I do. Um, <laughs> VPNs are perfectly legal. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, so I, I pay for the streaming service. It's only three ninety nine a month. Uh, and you yeah, get access to all these Korean movies. So, you know what? It, it's That's my first love, is Korean movies. So, yeah, yeah it makes I'm just wrapping it up. I have uh, one which I want to talk about. Uh, it's a horror yeah. movie from this year, uh, Icelandic one by uh, Hannah Berkholm called uh, Hatching. Okay. Um, I in which going in a different direction with that one. Um, it, it's, it's seen it starts off with which is just an advert for why you shouldn't have glass in your house because a bird comes clattering in, basically destroys everything. Um, the mother, who's also a Sort of social media influencer um, grabs hold of it, snaps it by the neck, and asks her daughter, her twelve-year-old daughter, go and throw it in the bin. She does it, um, goes to the bin the next morning, and the bird's not there. It's somehow neck broken, strangled, like, struggled its way out of the woods to find its its chick, its egg. The kid finds it, gets the egg, and raises it herself. Except it's kind of a horror body horror um, vehicle here because that little bird egg becomes huge. Yeah, and I think I've seen the trailer for this. And yeah, it looks interesting. It gives birth to this wonderful bit of puppetry. Um, like this, like a skull on the outside bird thing, human size, about the same size as her. And it's really, really interesting take on body horror. Um, if you don't like horror movies where it's basically like, oh, this represents uh, coming of age. This is what it's like to be a teenager, but exaggerated and turned into body horror. It'll it'll annoy you. But when it's done right, I think that's perfectly fine. It's not subtle, but okay, why is subtlety such like a value to be upheld in all cinema? I don't get that one, really. But it's got some wonderful practical effects. Um, it's quite nasty and mean-spirited in a way which uh, I don't think horror films tend to be. It's it's a sense of meanness which I think comes from um, sort of a Scandinavian cinema where they've got sort of harsh environments that they belong to. So what they pass off as dark comedy is is dark. It's really dark, yeah. Yeah. and this embodies that sort of value um, but yeah it's just really wonderfully made I think they could have done a little bit more of the social media satire uh, but and the the kid like, it's a, a mother and a daughter and a father and a son and the father and son dress identically and that weeds me out more than the monster <laughs> she's got hiding under her bed I'm perfectly honest but yeah a hatching is just it's actually really rather a fun movie, I think. you got to have it in this... It's like any Icelandic or Scandinavian movie. you got to be in the right mood for it. But if you're in the right mood for it, it's great. Yeah. No, absolutely. They've definitely got... Because I, I remember seeing The Lamb not so long ago. Um, yeah. Very much a mood piece. 
But yeah, no, I know what you mean with because there's a few subtitles like that. The only ones that really, for me, internationally kind of spoke because they were very much used wearing their American influence on the sleeve was the uh, Cold Prey movies. Just so long to see the third one of those. Ah, oh, Cold uh, Prey. Yeah, I was thinking yeah, of something else there, like the German one that was on Shudder. Uh, it's kind of like a Jello, but it had like an MMA woman, Turkish MMA woman, sort of fighting back against the psychopath killer. <laughs> I can't remember the name of that one. Called something too, but oh yes, uh, yes, I know which one you mean there. Uh, cold night, cold. Uh, I try to remember the German one, but isn't she a taxi driver or something like yes. that as well? Yes, no, I know, I know which one you mean. It's on Shutter. It's really good. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like I don't know where I was going with this. You know what, my brain called prayer. Cold Prey, that was it. Because that, that one's much more of an international kind of thing because it very much wears its Halloween influence on its sleeve for those first yes. two. I mean, the second one might as well just be Halloween too. It, it's that late. But <laughs> no, I know what you mean. There's been quite a few like that. I mean, this is why I, I think things like uh, Let the Right One In makes such an impact because we haven't really seen it in the book for that. Oh, jeez. I mean, that goes into some really weird places. But. Yeah, it's a very, very dark part of the world, Scandinavia. And, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it tells some great stories with that. But again, it's, it's funny as well, because I've got friends over there. I mean, yeah. and I try and talk to them about some of these Scandinavian movies, and they're like, no, we don't watch them. Really? <laughs> it's like, what? That's a pity. That's a real <laughs> pity. It is, but it is what you tend to find as well with such a behemoth like Hollywood. I, you know, a lot of people aren't going to, because it's access, it's easy, it's simple, you can get into it. It's, as I said, it's like Marvel. You can just watch mm. it two hours later, two and a half hours later. So, like, yeah, I'm done. Thank you very much. And full. Hmm. Well, it's pity, really, because I think Hatching would find a, a good audience. It's not subtle, but why, why does everyone have to be? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's like uh, one cut of the bed or something like that. It will find its audience and people will fall in love with it. So yes, okay. So uh, I think that's about it for uh, yeah. this week. So coming up in a future episode, we've got Takashi Kitano. But this week with Satoshi Miki, that's that's us done. So um, yes, Ben, where can we find you online? Where can you find me online? Um, well, I am the Kamarag Samurai on Twitter, which is C-Y-M-R-E-I-G Samurai, all one word, or Ben Trashking Jones. Uh, I'm also on Letterboxd, and that's pretty much it. I don't really skulk about in many places. But, yeah, it's... Fine. I'm usually just talking about movies and time. Hit me up. DMs are always open. I'll probably regret saying that. But DMs are always open. Throw me a message. Throw me a hi. Whatever. And I have been your host, Rob Simpson, and you can find me on social media by searching for Uncut Robcast. That's Uncut R-O-B-Cast. That's on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm also on Letterboxd too. Um, But for now, and until next time, that was Directors Uncut.